Now, don't forget, we have loads on the programme. We'll be looking and going to the Department of Health straight away, so I will. Uh, we'll also be talking to a gentleman who's uh, in town for a very special event, and we'll be getting to him uh, shortly. And it's all about the futures of cities, and uh, it's a major event taking place today. Uh, we'll be talking about that. And also, um, Galway Greats. Uh, today, we have the wonderful Paul Hughes uh, from Clifton. He has um, a lovely story to tell going way, 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 way back, I have to say. And um, he joins us just after 11 o'clock. And then we'll have a look at sport as well. Now, though, I want to go to the Department of Public Health, HSE West and Northwest, indeed. They're investigating meningococcal disease. I always make a mistake of that, so I do. Dr. Helen Cooper is a specialist registered in public health medicine in the Department of Public Health, HSC West and Northwest. And she joins me on the line today. Dr. Cooper, good morning to you. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. I, I always kind of, I, I, get, I stumble over meningococcal. What exactly is mm-hmm. it? Is that meningitis? Yeah, absolutely. So meningococcal is the uh, type of bacteria that can cause meningitis, but it can also cause sepsis, which is, you may have heard of you know, blood poisoning or yes. bloodstream infection as well. So it can present, as we know, like meningitis, so your headache, not liking to look at bright lights, and the classical rash that you can sometimes get. Or it can present more generally, people with, um, you know, feeling tired, high fevers, uh, vomiting, and being very sleepy as well. And is it is it contagious? Oh, it is contagious. We know that the bacteria that causes meningococcal sepsis or meningococcal meningitis can live at the back of people's throat, can cause them not very much problems at all. But for some people, that can go on to develop an infection. It is spread between people. Usually it's spread with very, very close contact. So people living in the same house, people hugging and kissing and things like that. But sometimes, as we've seen recently, we can get more widespread um, spread and transmission within a community, um, like we've seen in, in the school that we're looking at at the moment. And what can one do to safeguard themselves? I mean, it is so particular to what you've just outlined. Um mm-hmm. Like watching out for watching out for symptoms and all of that, but is there an age profile that you're concerned about, or does it just catch all if it does if, if it is contagious? Absolutely. So I suppose the main thing is to say that it doesn't spread very easily. So the reason we're looking into the school that we've been looking into is because it's so unusual to have that number of cases in a small area. Yeah. So for the wider public, I'd say it's not something to be you know overly concerned about at the moment. It is important to know the symptoms, so headache, stiff neck, high temperatures, and uh, the more general feverish and infection-type symptoms as well. In terms of protecting yourself, we've reached out to the people that we think are uh, at risk at the moment. They've all been offered a preventative antibiotic. So that's what we would do if we thought somebody else was at risk from a specific contact. Otherwise, there is vaccination available as well. That's in the routine vaccine schedule for younger children and also now for first years. So I encourage people to keep up with their vaccinations and um, get that, that extra protection that's offered by that as well. It can be fatal if it's ignored. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So what we find with meningococcal disease generally is people tend to get quite sick quite quickly. So time is of the essence. So if you or your child have those symptoms, it's important to bring them in to see 
uh, their GP or indeed just take them straight to A&E if they are unwell in that way. It's better to be seen if it is something less serious than to wait unless it develops. So time can be of the essence when we're talking about meningococcal disease as well. And again, time, you know, I suppose when we think of um, meningitis and meningococcal disease, we think of maybe young people who can't, you know, tell us what's wrong with them and or otherwise. But it's, mm-hmm. across, it's, across, it's across many age groups as well. But time, being the, time being the essence, contacting the mm-hmm. GP, figuring mm-hmm. it from there. Mm-hmm. Yes, get, you know, get help, get advice as soon as um, you have that concern. If you're worried about meningitis, you know, say that to the doctor. They will take your concerns seriously and, um, you know, get you the care that you need as soon as possible. Just, just, I suppose, talking to parents directly if they have young children and we know what goes on in schools. I mean, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of infections in schools and I know there some people are on midterm and some people are back from midterm and all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's, it's, the vigilance of it is what can make this work or not work. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, parents usually have the best instincts as well. You know if your child's just not quite themselves particularly younger babies and children, maybe not, um, you know, taking their food or their milk as you would expect them to, being a bit more sleepy than usual. So if you're worried, if you think something's not right, follow that instinct and, and get the care that you need. As I said at the start, we don't think this is spreading throughout the community. We offer treatment to people we think are at risk. But again, this is something that is, is always there in the background. We see cases of meningococcal meningitis or sepsis every now and then anyway. So follow your instincts if you do have a child that you're worried about. Yeah, and I suppose we're talking to people today and they're scratching their heads saying, well, how will I know? But I mean, from a baby point of view, if they're refusing feed, if they're being irritable, uh, mm-hmm. if they have a high-pitched cry, a stiff body mm-hmm. or a floppy or unresponsive body or a, mm-hmm. a bulging so- uh, soft spot on the top of their head, that brings back memories. Um, yeah. But again, the other... for. for Older people, indeed, or older children, severe headaches, mm-hmm. fever, vomiting, drowsiness, discomfort from bright light, neck stiffness, and uh, a rash. But don't, you, you say don't wait for the rash. Absolutely. So people tend to become sick with those general symptoms of fevers and headaches first, and then the rash can develop as they become more unwell. The rash, this is something probably lots of us know about um, from campaigns back in the day, but the rash is non-blanching. That means when you roll a glass over it, it doesn't fade with pressure. Again, I would say, you know, be worried about, uh, if if the rash is there, even if it is blanching, if you're worried about the child, take them into hospital to be seen as well. Better safety, sorry, at all times. Absolutely. And there are supports there, I mean, and and the hospitals will work very quickly. Um, Absolutely. Once you get there, they will work uh, very quickly. Mm -hmm. it's, It's interesting, but it's frightening, I have to say, Dr. Helen Cooper. I think it's it's something to be concerned about. I don't think there's a wide risk in the community at the moment, but the awareness is what's important, just because we know getting help as quickly as possible is the best way to have the best outcome. Mm. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Helen Cooper, Specialist Register in Public Health Medicine for the Department of Public Health, HSE West and Northwest. You're covering a fairly large region, so you are now. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Lots of variety in there as well. Good luck with the helicopter that you need, but there you yeah. go. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. That's uh, Dr. Helen Cooper joining us on the line. Now, thanks to her for taking your call uh, today. Uh, comment line's open if you want to get through to us on 086 38 33 
And again, thank you to all involved in the Lena, and thanks to John Morley for all the work you put into it. A huge amount of work went into the Lena program last Friday. A, a massive amount of work went into it. Um, but it just was just wonderful. And the people and the music and um, Breda and her crew indeed in Gainers, I sent her a, a card yesterday just to say thank you. Um, but all of the people that were involved was just great fun, so it, would, so it was. Um, and I said I would listen or I would watch the um, the field. And I did. Saturday night, sat down, took out the DVD. Yeah, we still have one of those, yeah. Stuck it in and away you went from there. And it was just great to see and great to see the characters that were spoken about. And I was trying to keep an eye out for people I thought I might recognise. But no, uh, it didn't didn't happen like that. But it was just lovely to see it. It was, do you know what? It was ahead of its time. If you haven't watched it, have a look at it. I mean, the production values were just superb, uh, absolutely superb. And acting was superb. It was just, it was brilliant. Anyway, well done to all involved. And uh, I would suggest if you haven't seen the field recently, look it up, find it. Now, very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. Quite a few comments still coming in the way in relation to um, in relation to Minister Dara O'Brien. Uh, he has said he'll come on the on the phone any morning and talk to us. And uh, he said, yeah, he said he will come on the morning any morning and just talk to us on the phone if we want to uh, take it from there. Heike, is there any chance you could get the pothole filled and the turn into Castle Park beside East United? It's shocking. And morning, Keith. I can't believe the pressure the public put on you to do things. They can can they not just do a bit of research themselves? You're some man for one man. I can't believe the patience you have, and you're so lovely and do an exceptional job on the radio. Thank you. That comes from Mary. Thank you, Mary, for that. You would not believe what I would be asked to do on a daily basis. You wouldn't have an iota of a clue what I'm asked to do. <laughs> to be honest, sometimes I ask say to myself, but I wouldn't say no to somebody either. I would be. I'm kind of that kind of fella. Uh, I kind of find it difficult to say no. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, you wouldn't believe, really and truly, people, you know, why Why aren't, the, most of the time it could be, why aren't the Gardaí answering the phone? And you say to them, oh, I don't know, but did you try and ring them? No, you find out. Or a few years ago now, we got a few phone calls, why, no, when things were different and Galway was a lot quieter. Uh, an ambulance was going over the Quincentennial Bridge so he rang and said, why is the ambulance going over the bridge? Where are they coming from? We get all sorts of questions in here. All sorts of them. Anyway, let me go to Deputy Catherine Connolly, who joins me on the line, because she's expressed serious concern over delays in the delivery of the Corrigocosta Galway City flood scheme. And um, again, just reading through the brief that I have here, uh, the flood relief scheme is a cause for grave concern indeed and must be addressed as a matter of urgency in response to Deputy Connolly's most recent parliamentary question on the matter of Minister of State with the responsibility for the Office of Public Works. Patrick O'Donovan stated that details of the revised programme, which is under review for over a year, are now due to, the, uh, to increase in scale of the scheme. I mean, I was told in the past that this was going to cost about £9.5 million, and this was going to be finished by 2029. Uh, Deputy Connolly, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. I'm afraid the uh, connection is very bad. I can just about hear you. Can you hear me okay there now? Not really. Um, we might try and get it different. Now. We'll try and get you on WhatsApp there. Just bear with me one second, if you don't mind. Uh, so if I can just hang up on the deputy there and we see, can we get it up on WhatsApp here in front of me? I'm going to drop it. I'm going to see, can I get WhatsApp uh, in front of me as well? Because um, this is just, it's ridiculous stuff when you've got so many homes and businesses um, 
so many homes and businesses that uh, have been flooded in the past and really and truly um, this work needs to be done but let me see can I just try and get uh, Deputy Catherine Connolly and uh, Deputy Connolly is, is that a little bit better there I want to know yeah uh, much better so it is much much better coming into you there um, this, this is quite a story of stories so it is and you've been working on this um, what do you want to happen now we need we need action taken in relation to climate change and the floods that we have been experiencing and will continue to experience. And I'm gone from the council since 2016. And up to that point, the Office of Public Works, in working in close cooperation with the City Council, were mapping the flood risk areas. Mm. And that was known as CFRAM. So that was... All of the effort went into mapping the areas and telling us what the dangers were. My concern always at that time was that they were talking about events every hundred years. And I felt that that was not in alignment with what the evidence was telling us, even way back in 2016 and before that. But in any event, they completed that. They did great work on that, the Office of Public Works. And then we move forward to the next phase, which is to actually design plan and deliver the works mm -hmm. and that's where the delay is um as you said there's a costing of 9.5 million on that however it a, a, a consultation phase was set out and a time within which the works were to be completed and that keeps slipping uh, it keeps changing and that's my concern so the latest answer i got which is the one i did the press release on was for the 8th of february and we're still at um, a revised stage so the consultants submitted a revised stage one program so that's where we're at there was a revised scoping reflecting additional works and so on so for the last number of years as i ask questions the goalposts keep changing but in clear english we're at stage one but the situation is that when I read through the brief over the weekend, the flood relief scheme aims to protect 940 properties in the Long Walk, Spanish Arch, Eglinton Canal, Merchants Quay, Ravens Terrace, Salt Hill and yeah. Clatter areas. That's, yeah. that's a big village. That's a big, big village, so it is, with 940 homes. Why the delay? Well, not alone is it a big village, but, but all of those areas have been very, very patient. Yeah. in relation to repeated floodings, which up to now we were told were exceptional. But we know they're not exceptional. They're recurring on a regular basis. I, 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 I'm the same as you. I mean, there were 29 flood risk management plans were developed. All of that work was done. Where we're falling down is in actually delivering the work. Yeah. And we're being told it's more complicated uh, than they had realised. Um, what the minister has asked is for the local reps to be updated. Yet we were to have a consultation, a series of consultations. We're told now that we've only had one. So while the people are very patient, it's very difficult for public reps to ask them to continue to be patient when there's no updating going on in relation to what's mm. exactly happening mm. and constantly changing. And I mean, I have the privilege of tabling questions and getting the responses. And, and that's what I keep doing, putting the pressure on. But really, the people have been ahead of us, Keith, and everything. They, they, they know we have to take action in relation to climate change. 24 years ago, they knew we had to take action in relation to recycling. Do you remember any of that? Yeah, the yeah. huge monster meetings in yeah, relation yeah, to recycling. Yeah. 
and 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 what happened the power was taken from the local council to deliver a waste management plan so i'm using that as an example where people were they're way ahead of us they're way ahead of us in relation to public transport 24000 people signed a petition i think back in 17 or 18 yeah you remember that and they were right. begging us to do a feasibility study and equally with the floods with the take with it taking measures they're ahead of us. They want this action to be taken. They just want to be kept informed okay. and have okay. their say in relation to it. Because it will have huge implications for the clad area and the long walk in terms of where is the water going to go when they put up the flood defences? What it, what will be the effect of the huge plans that have been put in for the docks that are with Borplanola for donkey's years and have gone nowhere? If that goes ahead, what will be the implications? And is this study, this revised scoping exercise taking all that into account and in the meantime what preliminary works can take place that can be added to mm. so all of these questions have to be answered I, I must say that the minister himself is pretty straight and blunt in the doll when I ask the questions I couldn't fault him what I do fault is the lack of urgency about it and really the failure to recognise that this need, needed to be done years ago can I ask you just, I mean, we had some tourists in recently and they commented on the, you know, the, the red uh, boom that's there keeping uh, the water yes. out of Spanish Arch. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's not a long term solution. Uh, if from memory now, and again from memory, only, a, a, a glass fencing uh, is, is what's proposed. Glass, to, glass wall. Glass yeah. wall has been, yeah, yeah, but would that be sufficient to keep the water out? But that, is, it, is there any way of getting rid of that boom because it's an iconic area and that boom and the other the associated works that are going on with the bridge there and the pedestrian walkway, uh, it's, it, it is affecting indeed the, the photographic opportunities that people have to promote Galway City. Well, if we don't do something, there'll be many photographic opportunities in in, in, in relation to flooding. But but on a practical level, th that boom, I understood that was to be temporary. I don't know how many booms have been put there. The first one that was put there suffered from repeated punctures and so on. Mm. But the council had to do something and that's what to, they did. My, my difficulty is they didn't do it within an overall urgent plan. That's, that's my problem with all of this. So 940 properties, minimum. Uh, you see, I, I keep going back to the CFRAM. That was the initiation of this, the recognition that something needed to be done. That was way back before 16. Huge work done. And now from 16 to 24, we've actually had no action, yeah. only repeated promises, repeated changes of time. And I'm looking here at questions, you know, and I'm being told back in January 23, uh, accordingly, well, it is expected a revised programme will be available in the first quarter of 23. That became the end of June 23. That became November into th this year, into the end of this year. Um, so I'm being told over the coming weeks, details regarding the overall pro programme will be communicated on the website and so on. And there will be a consultation phase sometime at the end of this year. So you can imagine, like the water moving everything, the goal, everything is changing here all of the time. I'm not sure if it's lack of resources, is it lack of commitment, is it lack of understanding that we yeah. really need to work with people and who have shown us the way. Yeah. I think though, I think, um, I do think that um, a light needs to be shone on this, um, like you're, what you're doing now, to see where is it 
give a timeline and how quickly can it be implemented? Because I take it the people you're talking about in the long walk area, and I walk that area, and I walk the Clad area a few times a week now at this stage. But I mean, when they put their head on the pillow at night time, if there's a high tide coming in, they must be worried. Absolutely. And everybody's worried. And I mean, my office is in that area. And I don't mean to say it's only my office, but it's not my home. But it has given me a full understanding. Uh, I had that before, but it it brought it into acute focus, running up to check at every high tide, checking to see, is, is it going to be flooded from the back or the front? But there is a timeline set out now. Uh, Keith, is there? Okay, there, it, it, yes. In the answers that they've given us, uh, so we're we told stage one begin in late 2020. Stage two, the planning was to start in 2023, and planning will, was not lodged. So now we're behind on that. Detailed design and tender will start in quarter two 2025. So that's next year. Detailed design and tender. Construction will start in 26 and the handover to be completed in 2029. Now, I know people are listening and saying, well, what are we going to do between now and, and 26 and 29? But if, at least if, if we could rely on those timelines, that would be something. Yeah. That would be something. And what can be done in the meantime? But again, it's to hold people accountable to those timelines. Absolutely. And if there are problems we don't know about, I mean, it, I, I realise it's complex and they're telling us it's complex. But what does that actually mean? Does that mean more resources? What does it actually mean? Does it mean that the docks development has to be taken into account or not? Yeah. I, I don't know what that complexity means, but I do know the people can't go on as they are in winter and summer, because there's no predictability now as to when the storms come. And we're very lucky when the various variables don't come together, the wind, the tide, yeah. and so on. So uh, all I can say is I keep okay. working on it. I keep tabling the questions and, right. and thank you for covering it today. No bother. And uh, thank you for joining us. Deputy Catherine Connolly joining us there. If you have any thoughts on that, and if you do, feel free, please, just to call us on 0917700077 and 086-3833-553 as well. It's quite staggering and it's a beautiful part of Galway and 940 homes, 940 facilities. Yeah. Let's uh, keep people accountable to that and Deputy Catherine Connolly will stay on it as well. Quick commercial break and there's a major event taking place in the Clayton Hotel later on today. We'll give you details of that. It's sold out, but uh, we'll be looking at the future for this city next. Now, a very good morning to you. We referred to when we had Minister Darrell O'Brien in studio with us uh, this morning. We referred to a lunch indeed taking place in the Clayton Hotel organised by Galway Chamber and it's the Galway uh, Chamber Business Lunch and it's been uh, sponsored uh, by Edward Capital and Bonham Key as well uh, today and the Minister will be in attendance at that. The guest speaker is a man called Mark Davy. He's the founder of Future City and he joins me on the line today. Mark, um, a very good morning to you. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, today on the programme. You just flew in this morning, I'm told. I did. I, I flew into uh, Knock and uh, then they picked me up. I've just arrived. So, um, yeah, thank you. If I sound a bit a bit um, battered. It was it was probably getting up at four o'clock this morning <laughs> to get there, but uh, worth a trip. It's an interesting conversation and you're in a very interesting area in Bonham Quay today, heading for the Clayton Hotel very shortly as well. But you are the founder of Future City. You've made a difference elsewhere in London. You've offices in London and Cambridge. Um, what, what, what kind of key message do you have about re- reinventing a city? That's a good question. I, I think what's 
I think the way I would describe it is that we've moved from a time where we relied on hardware. You know, we relied on buildings. If you built something, they would come, and and, and that would be the answer. And we've got we're in times now where it's much more about software. What do people do? How do they spend their time? What's the big idea, you know, that sets a place apart? We're all competing now, you know, region by region and city by city. Um, and we're all, all competing for quite similar things, actually. You know, we want to keep our young there. We want to we want tourists to come. We want to feel that we, we're special in some way. And it really counts. And and I think that's really, I guess, what I'm going to talk about today is the, what some of the things that are happening elsewhere and also some of the opportunities here. There's some fantastic things that are going on already. How can you capitalise on them? Ironically enough, I was looking at some old photographs. So you're you're in Bonham Key, and um, I, came, I must actually send Jerry Barrett a, a copy of it. I think I have it in my briefcase. Uh, when the oil tanks were there, the BP oil tanks were there, but that whole area has has just all changed, and and for the better, by the way, and very much for the better. But how do you continue with change like that and clean, keep a city clean? I mean, you're, you're responsible for. Um, Visions with White City, Greenwich uh, Peninsula, which is beautiful, Earl's Court, Canary Wharf, City of London. Like, you've you've done this, so we don't need to reinvent the wheel, really. We just need to tap into your mind. I think it's, I I think what's what's brilliant about Galway is it's already got this whole series. I mean, I got some of my researchers, for instance, to look at, I said, I've got people from all over the world who work with me. And I said, just go and tell me what you find if you go and Google or dig into what, what Galway is. And you suddenly come up with, you know, the UNESCO city of film, It's the Europe, it was the European capital of culture, it's called uh, Ireland's cultural heart, city of tribes, You've got all these amazing references, festivals and uh, tech city and uh, city of sport, bilingual capital, all these things are, I suppose what we would do if we were working is say, well, what's the evidence of that in the street? Where can you see this? You know, you, you have the film festival, but what else is going on that's linked to film? Are you the film capital of the world? How could you make more of it? And what we've, t- we've done in those places you mentioned in, in London and in Australia and elsewhere is persuade, I suppose, developers and the city to work together to create a vision that's more than just the festival. It was saying, well, let's do, you know, let's put creative industries in here. Let's yeah. attract filmmakers to come. So you're kind of dialing up the, the vision and the narrative. That's the big thing. And, it, and it's so important now. I mean, I can't think of any cities that aren't focused on their cultural identity to create this place where people want to live, work and play. But as you were talking there, I wrote down the word focus and then you come out with it. And that's really what needs to be done here is focus on what we want or what should be done to to keep it as good as it is. Yes, because and it looks to me like you know obviously I've just been walking around the the, the Bonham Key scheme, you know, which is going to bring. We've already got offices that are fully let with new businesses coming in. You know, there's all sorts of announcements about you know more uh, residential units. You've got the Augustine Hills scheme coming coming through with I think 300. So there's there's, there's stuff going on and and looking at the kind of businesses that surround Galway, uh, the city, uh, really high tech, you know, international businesses. So it feels to me like all the ingredients of the city are here, and it's it's kind of connecting them up. It's creating a sort of constellation where everything you can almost imagine you float above the city, and you can see all these things visible. Of course, in normal life, that isn't the case. Everyone does their job and gets on with their own thing. Everything's sort of, sort of compartmentalised. And I think the, the cities that are, bit, are successful are beginning to join things up and realise that it's not just one responsibility anymore. It's a partnership approach. And it, if mm. you get that right, it's spectacular results. 
I think the one thing that is, is, is affecting Galway is traffic and there is a ring road in the offing and it's with Umbor Planola which would be our planning authority that it has been appealed to and from there it may go to Europe but the, the traffic seems to be the talking point of the major problems in Galway. Yes, yeah, and, and I think it's a, it's a real dilemma actually, isn't it, between car-based cities and and trying to find what the alternative is you know, if you're putting in better public transport or you're bringing in cycling lanes or trying to create green uh, you know e-cars and so on it's 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 the, i think a lot of these ideas take a long time to bring through and it, it means often quite radical change in the way we behave um i, I was talking actually to someone earlier about um you know galway in a sense the the but the way that, say, the Galway might work is by making it more dense in the centre, more urban. But obviously that's a big deal to do that. But that is where, again, where cities are going, even small cities, trying to densification and and then transport works. But when it's based on, a, I suppose, a kind of inherited idea of, you know, you travel to work, you travel out to home, the infrastructure creaks and, and can't, you know, just can't take the expansion. So, again, everything's sort of connected up. And I think in Galway, you know, you're obviously coming out of a period of the way that cities are used and perhaps we're going into a new time but it's never easy and I think no. the big projects I've worked on have been you know those decisions are, are never politically never easy but they have to be made because you can see the impact as you as you were saying you can see the, the impact already um, so yeah again you know, it's, it's it's there's a lot of things that have to come out of uh, I think uh, a consultation on, on transport You see there's vision here and one of your sorry the sponsor of today indeed Edward Capital and Bonham Key they had vision um, but it, it took time and a lot of time to start building up in the city is, is that the way to go if you want to make the most of the city centre? I, I think it is. I mean, I, I think there's, there's plenty of evidence now that the further out you go from the centre of the city, the more expensive things become. Land becomes more expensive. Infrastructure is harder to operate. And we're, you know, we are in, all of us now are in straightened times and cost has become an issue. And it's interesting, a lot of our research shows that young people are not so concerned now with the house and garden. They're quite comfortable working, uh, living and working in the city. And we, you know, we hear that term, the 15-minute city, everything within reach. And there is a certain, again, truth in that. So I suppose, you know, I I'm, I'm obviously don't know enough about Galway to, to, to say specifically about the city, but in, in general, even small cities, um, I mean, it was this 85,000 in Galway, about 270,000 within the county, you know, that does put it in sort of comparison to cities in Europe, small cities in Europe, like Genoa and others. So, you know, the densification is definitely the way forward. Smaller apartments, everything's condensed. It means you can walk and cycle instead of having to drive long distances. It just makes everything easier. And a lot of the kind of um, clients that we work for now, both public and private, are really interested now in the connection of life, you know, the, what they call purposeful living. You know, I don't just want yeah. to work. I, I also want... I want to sense that I'm part of something bigger. And the great thing about Galway is it's, it's offering, it has all these amazing opportunities. It's just really building on them. But isn't it about tying them all together? I mean, public transport is another major issue here. I know the Minister spoke to us this morning and he talked to you uh, during lunch today about a major investment in the Kent Station site. You mentioned uh, Augustine Hill there as well. That's another big development right beside that again. But again, public transport is the way to get people in and out fairly quickly of the city. It is, and and I and I, I think of modern cities now, and and modern. I don't mean by they're built from now, but mod, so as the idea of a, of a modern city 
is about connecting up your public transport and, and, and the way that the centres work. And I, and I think here, again, you've got, and also you, have, of course, have the harbour, which is, again, another massive yeah. opportunity for the city. Uh, you know, I, I, I walked in this morning and when we went for a walk around, you just realised the potential here with the Augustine scheme and the, and the uh, Bond Key schemes as a sort of kickstarter for maybe a much bigger expansion. You, you know, you, you just feel like the future here is is around the, the sea, around the water edge, and and the medieval streets, and and really just making much more of the sort of density of the of the scheme. But public transport is huge, isn't it? And but what is it for? You know, I guess that's the key, isn't it? Is it trying to serve existing needs, or is it part of a future that is yet to be determined? Is it about something that's coming rather than just trying to react? Always, we always tend to react to the past, don't we? That is the problem. It's always trying to fix what what was there. But then we should stop looking backwards and look forward. I think so. It's very difficult because, say, I think most of us are com- we we're scared of change. Um, but we are in massively complex times. You, you will have seen, you know, from COVID, the way that we're working now is different. You know, the three-day week um, is, is is on us. People not working sort of uh, on Mondays and Fridays. Um, societal change about the way we shop is that's changing. Is it with Amazon? Uh, things being delivered. Uh, there's nothing we, when we at the moment that we don't seem to be touching that's changing quite radically. And of course, the biggest change of all is, is young, our young people. Um, the sort of Gen Z, you know, your listeners will know, I don't know all these different terms, but you know, I'm a, sadly, I'm a baby boomer um, of a certain age. But um, my experience of life and how I, the, the things that drive me are very different from, say, Gen Alpha, who were born this century. Yeah using technology in a much more different way, probably snacking their information out of, you know, lots of digital platforms. They are the future workers. They're the people who are going to live and work and use these places. They are not going to behave the same way. So we've got to look up to the future because if we if we think it's just going to be more of us, I think we're going to get a shock. And I think the cities yeah. that, again, have got this, uh, are really understanding this. And I'll go back to that term software and hardware. Software for me is like what you do and your story and your narrative and your vision. That's the software. And then making it real. I'll give you an example, actually. I might come mention it later. But I went to another city in the UK and they were a UNESCO city of literature. And I, you know, I remember talking to a team there and saying, what does this mean to you? And they said, well, nothing really. <laughs> we don't, you know, it's, well, they've got, they hadn't really done anything with it. It was almost like something they've got to figure out what the city of literature means. And I guess the same question we would go away would be, you're the city of film. But what could that mean? You know, that could be an extraordinary, exciting narrative to build on. So it, it, it's, it's definitely, I think, more about, you know, you've got to look to the future, but not forget your past, of course, which mm. you know, go away is a wonderful city. But I mean, like I'd be a 1960s babe, and 1962, so I'm a lot older than you. So I mean, you can imagine how I'm trying to cope with this, uh, Mark Davy. But I mean, when you, when you look at it, I mean, yes, UNESCO, UNESCO um, City of Film, fantastic, a, a great accolade. We don't have a lot of film going on. We've got the film flan that, I mean, there's other aspects of, of Galway that I would have put ahead of that, like the European Capital of Culture was excellent. I mean, the Galway yes, International yes. Arts Festival. We've got the Galway Races, which is the largest racing yes. festival in Europe. And uh, We have so much going for us. We have the Iron Islands. We've got Galway Bay. We've got the Burren just yeah. across, the, across the way for us. But I think... And I've said this publicly for a long time. Somebody needs to take ownership of all of this. If you take the Bonham Key situation, somebody took ownership of it, and now we've got Bonham Key. Somebody needs to take ownership of, be it Galway Chamber or somebody, take ownership of this and make and Galway City Council make this work. 
I think so, and, and be and be optimistic. You know, we, we I mean, we are again, we're in quite difficult times, and there is a sort of pessimism in the, around, um, and and the, and the danger of that is it drags everything down to everything before was better than what we have now. But actually, I absolutely agree with you. You know, when we were looking at uh, Goy, it's incredible the city and the the things that have happened here. Probably some by accident, some by design. You're absolutely right. The way to do this is to have a sort of cultural map of the city, link the private sector and the public sector together, find some common areas of interest, because you can't do everything. You know, the city, the city is a small city. It can't be all these things all the time, but it could decide that, you know, there are three core areas, three strengths, that, but that are really believed by all, all the different stakeholders in the city, and they all do it together. And that's what we've managed to do on these big schemes. You mentioned Wembley. We we worked on that Amazing. right from the beginning, and Wembley and you know your listeners know the, the you know the, the stadium there and that long walk up to the stadium. Well, all around it is a brand new development with ten thousand um, build to rent units. Yeah. A whole new young city is going there, but of course it's in suburban London, so there's not much there for those people. So in that case, they've had to bring everything in: studios and orchestras come in. Um, Art trails, markets, have all had to be encouraged to come into the into this new place. And this has been a, a partnership between the developer, the the city, the local borough, or the county. All of these have worked together, and the the impact is incredible. We've recently punched drunk an amazing global theatre group have moved there. So it can happen. It just what you need is a script. You know, yeah. to use a film reference. What's the script? Do do you all believe it? And and can we look for opportunities across the board? and start to bank all the different changes. Don't do everything in isolation. And I think that's the problem with the, not a problem, it's a nice problem, but the Galway list that you may you, you mentioned, you know, is that there are all these incredible things happening, but possibly you might argue in isolation. Yeah. And what would happen if we could put that all into one place? I mean, absolutely and, amazing and, opportunity. And so, and so much more. Before I let you go, because I know you're heading to the uh, Clayton quite shortly, but when, when you look at the likes of Canary Wharf and you said City of London and the, the mayor of the City of London was in Ireland recently indeed and uh, spoke very favourably about the relationship with Ireland and that. But again, they're small, concentrated areas that have got it right. Yes, yes. and, and But that, I, I, interesting enough, I think that's the reference. It's not, you know, I'm certainly not going to say, talk about London with, uh, was it, you know, nine million people in it. No. Well, it's it, You've got to be realistic. But if you actually take just the Wembley scheme on its own, or you take even Canary Wharf, which is completely having to reinvent itself now. You know, in fact, the best example, of course, is the city of London, the old financial city, yes. that's currently going through major changes, partly, arguably, because of Brexit, partly because, of, again, the changes we, we talked about earlier. But they're looking now to be a destination city, that's the term, and they're using arts, culture, and creativity and encouraging the developers and the public sector groups to work together to make a place that people want to live, work, and play. Now, that was an old financial quarter um, for 200 years or, or more. So you can see even there the kind of revolution of culture and creativity and placemaking and all these terms is coming through even to that part of the world so but when i think of what galway has and and its, re, you know, its relationship to other cities in the, in the in the country and it's got was it a million tourists a year coming yeah. in the american market's <laughs> kicking off again and i mean what a great opportunity it has to you know perhaps um, show other cities uh, how to how to move forward 
And we have, I mean, we have such history here. So we have, we have St. Nicholas Collegiate Church, Galway Cathedral, University of Galway, the Atlantic Technological University. I mean, I could keep going on, but you wouldn't even no, make the dinner if I did keep going on. And Jerry Barrett would be wanting his phone back because he, because he needs his phone to make another few bob to pay for something else. But I mean, oh, the situation true. is, it's an interesting conversation that we're having, but uh, enjoy. Uh, today. Are you yeah. flying back today then or are you staying tonight? Uh, well, you know, with all these things to do, I might stay actually, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll just come here because it, it, it's such an exciting place. But um, no, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think I'm supposed to go back tonight, but I've been here a couple of times now, and I, I love the city, and I, I feel very optimistic about the future of, of the city. I mean, the, the, the core problems that everyone's having to do with housing and transport and so on is an issue for everyone, and that is a, that's another conversation. But you know, if you look at the things you discussed and the list of things you 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 put you know really eloquently, I. I I think there's real positive no, no, change we, coming. We have, a, we have a fabulous city, we really have, and a county, by the yeah. way, in the most beautiful county. What you need to now to do is stay for a week, and then we'll bring you on a tour, <laughs> and we'll bring you no, out to Connemara, and into Clifton, and over to Clanborough, we'll oh. bring you everywhere to the Geopark. Listen, thank you so much for joining us, and sorry for taking up so much of your time. Mark Davy, the founder of Future City, is the guest speaker at the Business Lunch with Galway Chamber today. Uh, thanks to Jerry Barrett and the team in Edward Capital, by the way, for allowing him uh, to use Jerry's phone today, and all the team in Bonham Key as well. Now, yet to come on the programme, we have loads yet to come, but um, today, Galway Greats is what we're going to just after the 11 o'clock news. So I'm going to go to the 11 o'clock news, death notices are, as well, then I'll give you the um, sport, then the weather, then job spot, and then we go to Galway Greats. And today, I'm delighted and privileged to have spent some time in the company, indeed, of uh, Paul Hughes and in the Abbey Glen Castle on Friday afternoon last. There was a big Yorkshire wedding coming in, by the way, and he was dressed dapperly waiting for them to arrive, even though he is semi-retired, but we'll clarify that too with him uh, during the piece. Uh, but again, it's uh, it's a lovely story, and everybody thinks, including Keith Finnegan, as in I, everybody thinks that I knew Paul Hughes, but I didn't. Until I sat with him, and um, we had a bit of lunch together, beautiful location, by the way, looking out over the grounds. Uh, upstairs there in uh, Abbey Glen Castle. So stick with us. Uh, it's a special one, more than Sister Agnes last week, a special one. And next week is going to be special. They're all special, to be quite honest. Um, but again, Galway Greats coming up the way. That's going to be Paul Hughes just after the 11 o'clock news. And you can get uh, details on that by just staying tuned here. So you can also text us during that broadcast to 086 38 33 55 3 if you want to get in contact with us. And you can also call us on 091 77 Just a couple of quick comments. Uh, Keith, you understand none of this will happen whilst Eamon Ryan is in government. It's not fair now, is it, on, 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 on Minister Ryan? Uh, Keith, Galway's only a tourist town uh, where all where have all the good shops gone, this caller said. And you go on to tell me from there. All the good shops are still there. Um, I mean, Anthony Ryan's is there and many others are still there. All local shops. Again, giving local employment and putting money back into the economy. We're heading towards news now. <laughs> 